This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Suddenly, you were gone. From all the lives you left your mark upon. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, music fans. To the Rush fans that follow me on Twitter, I hope you're doing better or as good as you can be. Last Tuesday, January 7th, the world of music, the rock community, lost a legend, a pillar of influence, Neil Peart. It was announced on Friday that he had passed due to brain cancer, which was not known at all, um, you know, outside his circle. Neil's always been a pretty private person. Rush has always been pretty private as a band. They let you know what they want you to know. And it was shocking. It was definitely unexpected. Uh, I had a crazy day on Friday. It was my birthday. And I did some really good things at work in the morning. You know, I had some really, you know, success. I was feeling it. Some big things happened for the show, too, kind of like around midday. Went to go pick up my son from school. We were going to go out to dinner, and then we were going to meet some of my friends later on for some whirly ball, which to those that don't know what that is, that's kind of like bumper cars and lacrosse mixed together. So I picked him up and was heading home. I had the local sports radio show, The Score, on. And they came in with an intro from a commercial break playing the Rush parts from I Love You, Man, which is a Paul Rudd film. And there's Paul Rudd's character is a huge Rush fan. Paul Rudd's a huge Rush fan to begin with. And they were playing the, the comedic bits after the commercial break. And then they led right into fly by night and it being my birthday I'm like who in Rush is birthday today I didn't know one of them had a birthday because that's what they usually do they usually find a celebrity musician whomever and they wish them a happy birthday and that's what I was that's what I thought it was going to do because they do that daily and then I'm like well maybe it's Paul Rudd's birthday I didn't think of that and then the radio host Dan McNeil came on and announced the tragic passing of Neil Peart. And I gasped like I had seen a ghost. Shocked. I was driving and I had to pull over. And once I pulled over, my son asked what was wrong because he had his headphones in like any other 14-year-old kid. And I said, Neil Peart died looked at how shocked I was and they didn't say 
how he had died on the radio. So I didn't know if it was something unexpected, you know, um, or tragic. Car accident or, you know, I know he liked skiing and I know he liked motorcycles. And I, my mind immediately went to that. Like, oh, my God, did he have a motorcycle accident? Did he, did he die skiing? Did he, you know, we've all heard the tragedies over the years of celebrities skiing and hitting a tree and all that. So I just stared like directly ahead of me trying to process it as I held my chest because I was shocked. And then that's when my son who had been looking up the information told me of, of how he passed. So I drove home before we went out to dinner and I was kind of just in a haze. Just hurt it's probably the best way to define it got home a guy you know I went on my computer I started looking up all the news and all the tributes then decided to pull everything that I was going to do in that hour before I was going to go out to eat with my son didn't really feel like doing any content I wanted to give Rush fans a place where they can post their memories. Maybe it was too soon. I don't know. And if it was, I, I apologize about that. I just didn't feel right about celebrating music that day and through the weekend. Just didn't feel right. My connection with Rush started in my late teens. I grew up getting into Kiss and Van Halen. Of course, I talk about my musical connection on the first episode in our introduction. I migrated over to Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin really became my band in high school and even to now. During that period, during that period of growing up, I never really was into Rush. The, The... the voice of Keddy Lee never connected with me. It just it didn't sound good to me when I was younger. Until I met my friend, one of my best friends, Dave, who worked at a, you know, we worked at a big corporation in our late teens together. And we'd always talk about music. And he was a huge Rush fan. Huge. The biggest Rush fan that I know. And he would always make fun of me because I like Kiss. Although he liked Zeppelin, he would always, jokingly and sometimes serious, argue the superiority of of Rush over all bands, much like my Twitter followers do. So one day we were out, and he's like, you got to listen to Rush. I'm like, I've tried, man. I, I just don't, I don't connect with it. I don't like it. The voice just, it just it doesn't do anything for me. He's like, you're listening to Rush the wrong way. You have to listen to the lyrics. You have to listen to the lyrics as the music's being played and forget about the voice. So I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. So he gave me a bunch of his CDs. I think he gave me counterparts and, and I want to say permanent waves or maybe power windows or, There were three CDs he gave me. He's like, just listen to these. 
over the weekend and let me know what you think. So I went home and begrudgingly listened to Rush all weekend. And you know, looked at the liner notes, and or if they didn't have the lyrics in them, I would listen for the lyrics and listen to them. And as the weekend wore on, I found it compelling. And the connection was there, and the connection was made. It was indescribable. Going from Kiss as a 8, 9, 10-year-old, you know, and Van Halen, which was this huge party band, so it was Kiss, that largely sung about sex and partying and having a good time, to Led Zeppelin, who sung about sex and partying and having a good time, but also had a deeper element as well. You know, whether it's the song Cashmere or Achilles' Last Stand or whatever, you know, song you want to, you know, talk about with Led Zeppelin in my time of dying. And Rush just had these songs that were like a book, like a story, like a journey. I mentioned that with Led Zeppelin. I, I, I feel the same way about Rush where their songs are, most of their songs are more or less a journey as you listen to them, especially their conceptual songs during the 70s. But I was amazed at the lyrics, and then I was amazed that the drummer... Neil Peart, who I was familiar with, and I was familiar with his ability, wrote the lyrics. And that was so different because I don't know of another band where the drummer wrote the lyrics. Usually the singer or the guitar player or there's some type of collaboration between the singer and the guitar player, in most cases, not every case. Because the singer has to sing the words and the singer has to connect with the song in order to be authentic. And Getty touched on that in later interviews, how even though he's not writing the lyrics, he is connecting with them and and believes them and believes in the words in order for him to sing the song. You know, I, I think he said at one point in one interview, I, I can't sing something that I necessarily don't connect with. So he was just as much as part of the lyrics, maybe not putting them to paper, but collaborating with, with Neil in terms of the authenticity of the singer doing that. So as time moved on, I became a bigger and bigger Rush fan over the years uh, saw them live several times and was just amazed with how three people could make music like that and have it sound like there's an orchestra behind them or make it sound like there's ten people on stage making the music it was always incredible to me it was always fascinating to see them in concert and just enjoy them and just be in awe. Very rarely do I go to a show. And I enjoy all shows I go to. I'm not saying I don't. But there's a level of like, wow. And there's a level of awe that very few bands 
are able to attain. And Rush was certainly one of those bands. Living in the limelight, the universal dream, for those who wish to seem, those who wish to be. Must put aside the alienation, get on with the fascination, the real relation, the underlying theme. Rush had an impact all over the music community, specifically in the rock genre, of course. You might say that they were trendy in the mid to late 70s, maybe for about 15, 20 minutes because they had their hit. You know, well, Tom Sawyer and Moving Pictures, that was in 1980. Uh, And then, of course, they had the song Subdivisions. But they were never playing to a trend or trying to start a trend. If they became fashionable, like I said, it was for a quick minute, but it never impacted how they wrote music. It never impacted what they recorded in the direction the band went. The band was always going down their own journey, doing their own thing. I just talked about the conceptual points of their music. Rush was always evolving. From their debut record, which was not with Neil Peart, it was with John Rutsey, to Fly By Night. When Rush first came out and broke in Cleveland, they were called the Canadian Led Zeppelin. And they were able to develop their sound through Fly By Night, through Caress of Steel, to 2112. And as they grew and as they evolved, they became farther and farther away from that comparison to Led Zeppelin. The conceptual era of their music, from Caress of Steel, like I just said, in 2112, to Farewell of the Kings, to Hemispheres, that was a risk. That was a huge risk taken by a band. We all know the story that Caress of Steel did not do very well, did not resonate with people. I think it's Getty or Neil who told the story that they played the demos or they played the album for Paul Stanley and he just didn't get it. A lot of people didn't get it. And they were on the verge of being an afterthought as Neil wrote 2112. And to continue to do the conceptual music that they were doing, after Caressa Steel bombed and did not do well. You gotta be pretty gutsy to do that. Especially in a in an industry that is built on the here today, gone tomorrow mantra. To go back and be determined to get your voice and get your message across through a conceptual, another conceptual album in 2112 to basically give the middle finger to the recording industry and say, this is what we're going to do. This is it. Release it. Knowing full well that if it bombed again, their careers were probably over, probably done. 
And because they believed in themselves and they believed in their music, 2112 became one of the biggest iconic records of all time. Arguably one of their, if not the most recognizable album in their catalog. I remember explaining the album to my son a few years ago, and he was like, wait a minute, you mean they got like a 20-some minute song on this album? I'm like, yeah, but it's broken up into parts. It's like there's four songs into one or three songs into one. So he listened and he loved it. And it resonated with fans all over when it was released, and it became huge. It made Rush a household name. They always did it their way. Neil always wanted to stay true to that young, younger Neil Peart who believed in integrity and believed in having a voice and not compromising what he wanted to do. He drove the music for Rush. He drove the integrity and he drove the principles of the band. And not to say Getty and Alex were mute in this whole process. They had a huge say as well. But he got them to believe in what he believed in. And like three brothers, they, they drove down the road in their journey together, believing in each other and believing that their career was limitless. And what they could do was limitless. And I think that's why they had such a strong bond is because it was like the three musketeers, all for one, one for all. I'm sure they had disagreements at some points. I mean, of course, Alex talks about the quote-unquote keyboard era of the band and how he was trying to find his voice within the band. That says a lot about him. You know, he you know, he put the band before his own interest. And I believe they all did that. Neil dealt with a lot of tragedy later on in his life. His daughter Selena died in a car accident and then 10 months later his wife Jacqueline Taylor common-law wife, girlfriend, passed away from cancer. And he told Getty and Alex at the funeral of his daughter that to consider him, to consider him retired, that he's not coming back. And that was really a pivotal moment in the band's career. Understandably, Neil had to walk away to find himself again, losing a child and then losing your partner in life within a year. I can't even speak to that. I don't know how I could exist and how I could survive through that. I think we all agree that it would be... It's hard, it, You can't even explain, even even trying to understand it. In his book, Ghost Rider, which is more or less a diary of his journey of healing, 
and his sabbatical from playing music to try to find himself again, where he went on a motorcycle trip through North America and Central America. If you've never read the book, it, it is a great piece of literature. It is tremendous. If you've ever lost anybody or if you've ever dealt with tragedy, it is a wonderful, wonderful book. But again, Neil gave us a part of him with Ghost Rider. And if there is a direction all Rush fans should go in is the direction of the Ghost Rider. This is tragic. Neil felt like a family member to a lot of you. And he, his words connected with you more than anybody else. And a lot of you lived your life through those lyrics. Moonrise, thoughtful eyes, staring back at me from the window beside. No fright or hindsight, leaving behind that empty feeling inside. The mourning process everyone goes through is pretty much how the individual wants to mourn. Everybody has their own process. Everybody does it their own way. For those that don't, I think it's important for you to figure out the proper way to do so. Some people like to talk to others, talk to other fans in this case. Some people like to just turn off the computer and not deal with it and not accept it or accept it when they want to. No, There's no right or wrong way to mourn. There was a quote on my Twitter feed about how this particular follower felt like he knew them or knew him without really knowing him. He was a huge part of his life, but didn't know him personally. And I think that's pretty common for a lot of Rush fans during this time. We felt like we knew Neil because of the way we connected with his lyrics, and then we connected with his words. We connected with his stories through his books. So he felt a part of us. And as I stated in a post that I did prior to just leaving the page, just full of retweets over the weekend and and whatnot, but he gave a voice to a lot of people that were not accepted in high school. Maybe they were considered nerdy or different. He gave a voice to those who were quiet, were not the popular were you know not the the homecoming king and queen or the football player not to say that his music didn't resonate with with those individuals either but when you're growing up in high school and you're younger things can be difficult life can be difficult life can be confusing life can be hard you don't understand all the choices you have in front of you you 
become very tunnel visioned and it's very hard to get out of that. And Neil gave those people in particular a way out, a way to feel. And he became their friend through their lyrics, or through his lyrics. And that's why it's hard for a lot of people who went through that and experienced that. We see the comments all the time on, on you know, the polls that I do, Rush fan nerds and stuff and blah, blah, blah. We see all that. And there's something to that. You know, it, it, it may be looked at now as funny or comical, but when you lived that back in the day and when you were growing up, it wasn't funny and it wasn't comical. And Neil was able to build that bridge to that person in particular and make them feel comfortable, make them feel alive. When they had a hard day at school, socially, they would go home and they would listen to a song that made them feel better. It gave them comfort. That cannot be denied. And as he got older, he wrote about things that we connected with as we got older, as his fan base got older. That's what made Neil so great because he was always evolving and he was always changing. And as humans, we all do. We all go through changes. And whether it was from fly-by-night all the way to Clockwork Angels, his lyrics still resonated through those changes and through those experiences. I think what one of the reasons the death of Neil Peart was met with so much sadness is that as Rush fans, we knew they were no longer making music. And we knew the possibility of them ever doing that again was slim to none. But we always held out hope. Maybe they'll do one more show, like Led Zeppelin did. Maybe they'll do, you know, a weekend in, of residency in Toronto or something like that. Or they'll do five shows and, you know, fly in to go see them. And at least I did. I don't know. I don't know about anybody else. I always held out hope that maybe they'll do one more show. And I think, in a way, Alex and Getty held out hope too. Obviously they knew of this, but prior to him telling them of his condition, I'm sure they felt some hope somewhere deep down inside. And if you notice, their comments about them touring again changed over the past few years, especially in 2018 when they said he was retired for health issues. And we all assume those health issues were his feet and his shoulders. Drumming is a very, very physical instrument. But when the, it was announced on Friday, all that hope disappeared. 
And when I finally laid down on Friday night after coming back from being out with friends and my son, and I shut the light off and I laid in bed, I finally had my moment. I finally had my moment of realizing the hope of them playing again was gone. And the man that connected with me through his lyrics was gone. But at that moment, I promised myself that I would use his music to help heal me. Because he's given us so much, I'm going to use it to get over this moment. And as it is sad right now to listen to his music and to think about what happened, as time goes on, that sadness will be replaced again with joy and happiness because that's what his music meant to me. I know it meant that to a lot of you. So if there's a way for all of us to get over this together, Neil has given us the gift that will help that. In closing, I posted Sunday afternoon the clip from Beyond the Lighted Stage documentary when Alex, Gaddy, and Neil are at dinner at some hunting lodge, I think it is, some restaurant. And they're together, and they're having a good time, and they're planning their next move, their next album, and what they want to do. But beyond that, it's just them. It's who they are. Three friends that play their music all over the world. One of the biggest, most recognizable, most influential bands of all time. And at their core, they were still best friends. They still enjoyed each other's company. They still enjoyed being around each other. And for whatever reason, while I was processing everything over the weekend, I kept thinking about that moment. I kept thinking about that dinner in that documentary. Because that's who Rush was, that's who Neil was, the laughter, the synergy between all three of them. It was magic. And sadly, that table for three will be no longer. Those dinners that they might have done or may have done will not happen again. But they will always have the memories and they will always have their integrity because of what they accomplished and who they were. And very few artists, very few bands can say that. They never compromised. They did it their way. Sunrise in the Mirror 
lightens that invisible load. Riding on a nameless quest, haunting that wilderness road. Like a ghost rider. Just an escape artist racing against the night. A wandering hermit racing toward the light. From the white sands to the canyon lands, to the redwood stands to the barren lands. To the barren lands. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.